Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, and we are so pleased to have with us today, Todd Fitzgerald. He serves as a VP Cybersecurity Strategy and Chairman of the Cybersecurity Collaborative Executive Committee. He also is Adjunct Lecturer at the Cybersecurity Leadership at Northwestern University. Prior leadership roles include Senior VP, Chief Administrative Officer, Information Security and Technology Risk, Northern Trust, Global CISO, Grant Thornton International, Global CISO, Manpower Group, Medicare Security Officer, External Audit Oversight at WellPoint, now Anthem, Blue Cross Blue Shield for the National Government Services, CISO, North and Latin America, Zeneca, Syngenta, sorry, if I mispronounce that one, Syria Information Security Technical Leadership Positions with IMS Health and American Airlines. He's authored four books, number one best-selling in 2020, congratulations, Canon Cybersecurity Hall of Fame winner, CISO Compass, Navigating Cybersecurity Leadership Challenges with Insights from Pioneers 2019, and Groundbreaking CISO Leadership, Essential Principles for Success. They're both on my bookshelf. They should be on yours as well, too. They're great reference books. He's top-rated RSA speaker, frequently called on to present at international, national, local conferences, Information Systems Audit and Control, ASACA, Information Systems Security Association, ISSA, and others. I first met him years ago when we were both speaking at a conference at Fort Lauderdale. He's won numerous awards and recognitions, including being named 2016-2017 Chicago CISO of the Year and ranked top 50 security executives. Todd, it's great to see you again, my friend. Welcome to the show. Great, great to see you too again, Rebecca. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure. You know, Todd, I, I have to ask you because you started out with your initial BS in administration, and then you got your MBA in business administration. But then you found yourself leading technology groups and, and having these great CISO roles. How did that transition from business administration and technology come about? Well, it's interesting. In, in college, I, I started out as a mathematics major. And then I I got the calculus and realized maybe this isn't my thing. And then I went into accounting uh, and I was an accounting major. And then I thought, well, do I really want to do this all day? And so I, I went into business administration and got out of college and got a job as a computer programmer. So I've often thought of that as, you know, what is the thread between that? And what I've come to realize, because I also spent a lot of time, it's kind of a side hobby of mine, looking at psychology and the Myers-Briggs stuff and all the personality profiles. I find that's fascinating. And so what I've come to learn is that there's there's an analytical bent to that, all of that. It's it, that runs through that. And it's also very logical. It's a logical path. Math is very logical. Computer science is logical. And so all of those things connected to each other. And I think I got into management because I think I always realized there was this, you come to this career point where you say, I was leading DBAs at the time. And I said, you know, there's some really good DBAs. And I don't think I could ever be as good as 
the best DBA that I had on, on that I was working with. So I thought, well, maybe my skills are more uh, lend itself more towards managing people. And so I've been doing that most of my career. No, it's, it's always fascinating. My background's similar to yours. I was chem major and I was always a mathlete and stuff along those lines and then switched into business administration. And then after a different career, actually got in technology. But I agree with you. The analytic skills, the ability to be able to, to know what you don't know and be able to go ahead and see who has those unique skill sets that are more gifted in those areas than you is a great leadership principle that you don't have to know everything, but you do need to be able to be able to see that in your team and help pull that out. And I think when you move into the management space, the one thing I tell people is that you're going to step away from the technical side of things and you're never going to be as good as the the most technical person on your team, but you still have a responsibility to stay technical so that you can talk to the team and that you, you keep that respect with the team. So I've always stayed technical, but I've always, I've always realized that was not my job and that there were people that needed to be that way. And so you move into this space where you're uncomfortable because you don't have all the answers, but you have to depend on other people that that you know that that do have those answers. And I and I feel that when you're uncomfortable, you're growing. And so every time I've been uncomfortable with something, it mean it meant I was learning something new. And and you just gotta work through that till you get to the you know you cross the stream and you get to the other side and you look back and you say wow, now I know this and I didn't know that before. But at the beginning, you always have that uncomfortable feeling. Do you have a, did you have a specific time or maybe a few times where you know what appeared at the time maybe an epic failure actually brought you out on the other side as a better person? I know I've had that many times. Usually my most epic failures or quote unquote learning lessons actually actually make me a better leader, a better person and bring me back. But you have to have those in your career or you'll never grow. Yeah. You know, I have been outsourced in my career as I look back on it. In the IT industry, it's very common to, you know, changes in management, you outsource things. Seven times as I look back through my career, I've been outsourced. But you know, what's really great is that I have been out of work a total of about 15 weeks since I was 15 years old. Yet I have, my job has been, has, you know, has changed over that time because of, you know, management was, you know, moving things offshore or whatever. And what I realized is those are really opportunities and they're opportunities to look at a different type of job and something that you would grow in. There was one time I, I didn't get a promotion that I thought I was going to get. Uh, and I ended up leading all the external audits for several years, for like three years in that organization. And what was interesting is I got to see all the different audit firms, you know, all the, the big four audit firms, the smaller audit firms came in, and I got to see how they did that work. Well, later on in my career, I had the job as the global CISO for Grant Thornton, which was the, at the time the number five audit firm in the world. And what I realized was it was the experience I had gained from knowing how all the other audit firms were auditing security that was like gold because I understood 
what our business was. And, and that really helped me. So, you know, at the time where I thought that was a, a you know, something that I, I didn't get that promotion that I thought I should have had, there was a reason why I didn't get it. And there was, and it was building experience in me that I didn't know I needed down the road. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And one thing that I think people also need to ground it is sometimes companies need to offshore for saving money. Sometimes you do have a change of management. You just don't see eye to eye and, and don't take that personally. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the better companies out there for you. You've changed companies quite a few times for, like you said, a variety of different reasons. And it's interesting when I speak to some, some companies, they seem to be going, you know, you weren't at one company for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I would tell you, for me, that scares me when someone's only had one point of view of seeing things for that long period of time. What do you see on people? Do you think having maybe four or five different places in CISO gives you a better perspective than if you'd only had that one perspective maybe for your whole career? What do you think? Yeah, I think I built a lot of experience because I have worked in in different organizations and I've seen different different ways of doing things. I would also say though that even somebody that's worked in one organization for a long time that you can learn where you are and you can learn different things in that environment if you take the time to do that. So you can always develop your skills over a period of time. When I look back on my career, I've had a bunch of different jobs, but I've also had two employers that I had for 10 years and nine months each. That must be my expiration date (laughs) because I worked for the subsidiary of Anthem where we were doing Medicare security for 10 years, nine months. And I worked for American Airlines for 10 years and nine months. And, And I didn't have the same job in each of those places. So I gained different different experiences throughout that. But I do, I do think that you do grow, but I don't think it's good that for people to every couple of years to go looking for another job. I tend to be a loyalist. In fact, I've, I've told people that it's kind of like I, I'm on the Titanic as it's going to shore and then, and then I jump off and then I get on another Titanic, right? And these are great companies. It's just that the point here is just that I stay there until, you know, the end comes, right? Where some people at the first sign of, oh, I think they're going to be outsourcing us or whatever, they jump. And either way is fine. It's just different personalities look at those situations differently. Yeah, I agree with you. I think too, it depends on the size of the company. If you're by venture capitalists and stuff like that, a lot of times management might change quite a bit. Jobs might change quite a bit. And so mm-hmm. sometimes that is, is the reason as well too, is just your whole management is flipped. When companies now are looking for systems, you know, it's, it's the great, you know, people say resignation. I think it's a great reflection. You know, is this really what I want in my life? Is there in a lot of us as CISOs or CIOs, a lot of times we go ahead and we put in CTOs, we end up putting especially in 2020, we put job 100% first. We were, you know, we were in jammies, you know, almost throughout the whole day and we got really burned out and that's been a big thing. And now companies are going ahead and a lot of those CISOs who have, or CIOs or CTOs are rolled out. Now they're looking for who should be back in that position. But I would say it seems that they really look short term. They want the person to come in and then fix all these things that we want it all fixed. You need to do it from day one. How do you advise people on that? Because I've been asked that numerous times. What would be your roadmap? And I'm like, I don't even really know the lay of the land yet. How do you recommend people from the organization tackle really finding the the right key people 
for those positions? And how do you recommend like people like me that you mentor to go ahead and say, trying to find the best fit for you so you could have that longevity and that success? I'm a big believer in looking at the, your personality and and how that fits. You know, what type of people do you get along with? If you are uh, more of a consensus uh, collaborative type person, like I, I consider myself to be in that space, and you're now in an organization where people are very competitive against, you know, within management of each other, you're not going to be happy there. And so you want to find that team that that is going to be more collaborative and more consensus driven and not, you know, and not in that competitive, uh, not in that competitive space. So I think people have to look at it that way. I think with the the great resignation, I think it's, it is a reevaluation of your job, but I don't know that means that people should be just quitting their jobs. It's that old saying of, you know, are you moving away from something or are you moving towards something? So what is it that's really missing? And, and take an honest assessment of what's really missing in your current workplace. You know, you may have 80% of what you want and you just need to fix that 20%. And I think, you know, that may be a, a better solution. I also look at it this way, that be valuable to your current employer. If you're valuable to your current employer, you're probably going to be valuable to somebody else if your current employer someday decides they don't need that particular skill set, because you're going to be developing your skills. And so, you know, I, I've, been, I've been on the speaking circuit for two decades now, and it's something that, that I enjoy doing. Uh, and I remember uh, one of my prior bosses having a performance review. We were having this discussion. And, and he says to me, you know, Todd, when you talk about your speaking engagements and writing and things like that, he says, your eyes light up. And it was like the first person who ever noticed that in me and that that was where my passion was. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to share information. I wanted to help make other people better. I, I didn't want to keep it to myself. And so I do more of that today than I ever have. And that's why I write books and I speak and I do those sorts of things. So I think it's important to find that job that is your sweet spot. You know, maybe it's incident response. Maybe you love being in a crisis and you want to be in that mode, well, find that job that does that. Maybe you don't like that and you want to you know, do something that's along the governance side of life and you like organizing things and seeing where the gaps are, You know, then do that kind of a job. But don't feel like you have to be the, the, you know, the top 50 CISO in the country because that's not what's going to buy happiness in the long term. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I know companies who they want to pigeonhole me and have me only work incident response or operations really miss a big side of me because I'm so much in the trust officer, really getting the confidence of our clients and, and consumers. And if you take me out of that, you're right. You have that part of you that kind of dies. And so you need to be in tune to what they need and then how they can best utilize you. And if it's not a good match, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You need to be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And we forget about that at times to do that. You know, you mentioned on a tweet here recently, like, hey, let's have 2022 be the year that we finally get this right. You know, when we talk about like vulnerability management, just because you brought in instant response, 
you know, we keep having the same holistic problems really going back from 95 and before that. Why do you think we keep repeating bad behaviors consistently in the vulnerability incident response field area? I think it has more to do with funding and organizational support than anything else. I think, you know, the CISOs know what needs to be done, but it's how do we get the right amount of funding to make that happen? And that's and that's a skill that I think CISOs have to learn to, to develop. It's not just those technical problems, you know, that, that we need to be able to, to be, able, be able to address. Having the right frameworks, uh, putting those in place and being able to show metrics as to how well are we really doing in the organization and, and, and having that, you, you know, I hate to use the, the theoretical, you know, where we need to act like a business kind of thing. Well, I think, what, well, what does that mean? It, it means we have to get down to, hey, we have a serious issue here. Here's the numbers that show this. And this is an area we need to improve upon. And I think that's where we need to do. I spoke at a conference recently that was that had a lot of uh, small business companies in there. And one of the poll questions I asked is, you know, you know, where does your CISO report? And do you have a CISO? And it was interesting to me that it was almost 50% of the companies did not have somebody identified in that role. Now, clearly they were small companies, uh, but this is really scary. And this is where the bigger companies really need to help the smaller companies, our supply chain, and help them to become better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I see that time and time. And I, I just help some firms out of ransomware attacks and stuff like that, obviously after they're bricked. But the one thing is like, do you even have a security engineer on staff? Mm-hmm. Do you have somebody reach out to you? And it's like, no. And I'm like, no, you as a C, you know, CEO can't be that person. And your system admins, generally speaking, are not going to be that person. You need at least, if not, you know, do you have a fractional? Do you have a, a VSISO? Do you have a collaborate that you can reach out to so you can go ahead and get the, you know, prevent these things from happening and, instead of being always reactionary? And for some reason, security, we're always like the last ones to the party and we consistently be the last ones to the party. And I think it's because it's always been seen as a as a cost item. But I think things really flipped a, a few years ago. If we go back, I'd say it was like five years ago when, when we started with the not pettiest stuff. You know, it used to be that question of, well, why would they want my information? And now... It's the fact that you want your information and you need it to run your business. And I could take it and I can encrypt it, or I could disclose it and do a, a double extortion on you. And I could do those things. And so I can get money from you because of that. And so every business now has to be on alert that this could shut down their business. And so I think that education is his, you know, has been happening. But I also think that there's a tendency to, you know, say, well, we've outsourced this to our MSSP. They'll take care of it. But then they don't have anybody in-house that's watching the MSSP uh, and making sure that, that, you know, the right things are being done. So we kind of need that balance of people on both sides. Yeah, I've seen more recently, too, when you mentioned about MSSP or, or some other tool that they get, they assume that the tool in innately of itself will protect them or that MSSP 
innately of themselves and they forget what is the purpose of them. They're, they're really augmentations of your, your current staff and current capabilities. But that also goes through on not having some sort of framework that, that you are going by to actually as a guideline. I know I've spoken on cybersecurity framework, just because mentioned to, to small businesses and stuff like that. I think, you know, you've mentioned in tweets, there's like 13 frameworks, there's 900 frameworks out there. But when, when people are trying to even get to a baseline, where do you think they should start? I think that's part of the key problem I see is that they don't even have a baseline that they're trying to, to aim for. Yeah. One of the things that really brought me to, to putting the CISO Compass book together was that, that there was no roadmap out there. There wasn't a book you could go to. There were there were CISO type books that talked about somebody's career and in their journey and so forth. But but it wasn't really like, okay, what is it? I, I'm a new CISO or I'm an experienced CISO. What is it I need to be doing? And so what are all those components? And so when I was looking at that, I didn't want to create Todd's framework. You know, how do we know that that we're doing an effective job as a CISO? Um, and so I went back in time and innovation is really taking existing things and sticking them together. And so I found the, the you know, the McKinsey 7S framework that I was familiar with, where you've got system structure, style, staff, shared values those things that are important to have an organizational be effective. And I applied that to cybersecurity and then looked at all those activities that we do and how is it that we can measure that to say, hey, we're this is these are the things that we need to be doing as a CISO. And then that becomes your roadmap. And that goes beyond what the frameworks do. The frameworks tend to look at controls and what controls do you have in place, but not all those other things about, you know, do you have the right staff and skills, you know, to run your program? Do you have the right processes in place? And so that's what I put together. But as I was putting that book together, and, and one of the reasons I, I wrote, you know, we have so many frameworks. On the chapter on frameworks, I, I wrote thir- about 13 frameworks that are out there. It's like, I actually just got bored of writing about frameworks. And so I had to stop the chapter somewhere. and. And the thing is, there's some really good ones out there. I like NIST. A lot of people have been adopting the NIST. Why? Because it's a great communication tool for our executives. So I think that's a really good high-level tool to use. And that is mapped to these other frameworks too. ISO, because I, I look at that as at the process compliance level, that tells you what you should be doing, but it doesn't get down into the detail of things. And then I would bring in the NIST 853 controls or the SANS point or the what's now the, the CIS critical controls. Bring those in when you need the detailed controls to supplement the ISO 27000 controls. So there's really those three levels of controls will get you there and provides the communication tool with management and you can see where your gaps are. You put together a three-year plan, you know, have, have that always have that three-year plan available because there may be money at the end of the year that, that becomes available. Well, now you know where to spend it and what to ask for. And just because I mentioned that, that's why I've always liked high trust because it tries to combine several things in once. And I liked it when it brought in the COSO framework. So the enterprise risk management that you also brought in, because how's it going to affect finance? How's it going to affect headcount? How's it going to go? You know, what is the cost benefit of actually fixing it? Because we could always do it by insurance. We could go ahead and self-fund if something happens as well, too. And people in our field have a tendency to forget that it is a risk versus reward 
you know, proposition at all points in time. And it's not our job to make this the company 100% risk-free because no companies can work on risk-free. So, so how do you advise people to balance that aspect out about when they present it to the board and stuff like that? It is a risk-reward proposition. And we need to do it from a, that perspective when we present as well, too. I think CISOs are getting better at that because I think if we look at the tenure of CISOs, it is longer in organizations now. And I think it's because when there is the breach that happens, the CISO isn't seen as the, you know, the person who, who fell down on their job. If they've done their job right, they've made the, the problem of security, the problem of executive management across the board, that, that it, that's the ownership of security and the security officer becomes the facilitator of that. And if they've communicated the message that we can't eliminate that risk completely, we never will be able to, but that we get to an acceptable risk level. And one thing I like to do with acceptable risk is when when you have an executive that says, well, I'll accept that risk, put it in writing and have a paper form and have a wet signature on that form, not, not just a email thing. You know, when you have to go through that act of you're signing your name that you're going to accept the risk, usually you see a pullback of like, well, okay, what do we need to do to mitigate the risk? And the conversation becomes a, a, a different conversation because they really don't want to accept that risk. And so you get into that discussion. And it may be that you have to have the business leader and the IT leader jointly being accepting that accepting that risk, you know, that can be a very effective way uh, to work through that. Yeah, I agree with you. When you have it e-discoverable, things change versus just <laughs> passing conversation. That's what I call it. e-discovery, let's sign. Mm-hmm. Our time's running short. How do people go ahead and get a hold of the collaborative to maybe engage, go ahead and for speaking engagements, get your books? How do they find out about you and follow your career and, and you know, use your services? Sure. Well, the CISO Compass book is available on Amazon. I think that's where most people go for books these days. It's also on other booksellers as well. We also have a a podcast called CISO Stories, where we had 75 top security leaders and CISOs contribute to the book. And they created like a gray box. Think of it as like the job interview. You know, uh, what was your situation? What action did you take? What would you do differently? So it's not theoretical. So it was actually actionable advice uh, for people. And so I've taken the CISO Stories podcast and then we do an interview and do a deep dive with the CISO or the security leader on that particular topic. So it's it's easy it's easy to Google that uh, to find the CISO Stories podcast. It's downloadable from all the the podcast platforms. Uh, the Cybersecurity Collaborative is at uh, cyberleadersunite.com, and that's a, a collaborative of of CISOs that come together and then share their experiences and then also create work products as well. You know, for to help to help the CISO community. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. <laughs>